So I think it's kind of cool today that the place that the gospel took place today is one of the places that we visited on the parish's 90th anniversary pilgrimage to the Holy Land. The Mount of the Transfiguration is, is way, it's a high mountain. And the road leading up to it is very narrow, steep, and lots of hairpin turns, and uh, not very easy to traverse up. So the way that you got the way to the top is all the buses and cars would park at the base of the mountain and you would wait in this rather rudimentary uh, shelter where you would buy your ticket and they conveniently sell souvenirs and water. And there's nothing to do but just to sit there and wait and wait and wait for the buses to come down. And there's lots of people there. The Holy Land is just packed with tourists. And you can only sit there for so long and people start wandering off a little bit and walking into the roads and the people who work there would come out and angrily say, get out of the roads, get out of the roads. And you just sat there until these little micro buses came by. And they came by three or four at a time every 10, 15 minutes. And the next load of people were allowed to get on and they would work their way up the mountain and we waited and waited. It was finally our turn to get on the buses and we worked our way up there. And once you're at the top, there's not much of a parking lot, enough for the buses and a few VIPs. And they let you off and you have to walk down this trail. It's rather flat, but you walk down this trail past some uh, gardens and some ruins, at the end of which is a large, large church. And it's in three sections. It has two very large bell towers and at the base of each bell tower is a little chapel. One is to Moses, one is to Elijah. So instead of going into the main doors of the church, if you turn this way, you would go into a little chapel uh, that's to Moses and you see a picture of him there holding the Ten Commandments. And if you go in this way, you'd see uh, Elijah's chapel with him and his flaming chariot of fire taking him up to heaven. And then you come back outside and you go into the main doors and you see the big church, the, the, the church of the transfiguration, right? And it's all, Jesus is up there and he's all white and, and the whole place is made of gold and white. It just shines, it's beautiful. Now it's tempting to, to take today's gospel of the transfiguration, how Peter James and John see all this, Jesus, Mo, uh, Moses, and Elijah, a lot like you heard me just describe that shrine, right? Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, that sounds good. And we might not think much more about it. But it is more than merely interesting. Something is happening here worth noting. We just get so used to these stories. There, it's a, it's a kind of a crazy story. Imagine, if you will, if I came up to you on the street and said, I was just with the mayor on the top of the Cascade building and he was transformed and suddenly he was standing there carrying on a conversation with George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, right? I would imagine you would be inclined to have second thoughts about my sanity. If I really wanted to convince you of the mayor's willing uh, worthiness to serve, I might come up with a better way of trying to convince you, unless, unless it was true. And that's the only story that I have to give you unless I want to make something up. 
Don't make the conceited modernist mistake that today we are far more rational and would not believe such a thing, but all prior people were ignorant and superstitious. People might just have likely in their day rolled their eyes at this story as someone might be inclined to roll their eyes at my story about the mayor. So what happened to them that they had the confidence to go ahead and eventually tell people this story despite the improbability? In the West, we tend to think pretty straightforward what the story is about. Something about Jesus changed, revealing his true nature. And these three men were merely witnesses to that. But in the Eastern Catholic Church, it is thought more that something in the three men had changed, revealing to their hearts the true nature of Christ, that they were able to see with the eyes of faith what was true, but mostly hidden. We don't really see the fullness of reality around us. Scientists tell us that there is so much to take in at every moment, that much of our perception is built on memory so that we can function in this world of extreme input. Could this be what happened to the three disciples? Could they have had a break from this typical way of perceiving the world with our brains, about perceiving reality in doses, and all of a sudden saw it as it really was, saw Jesus as he really was and the truth and the beauty and the goodness that was always present to them, but they didn't always see. The seminarian from our parish, Michael Crookston, just got back from Rome with the rest of the seminary that was visiting there, and he had, they all had some free time, and one of the things that he did was that he went to the Basilica of St. Sebastian outside the walls of Rome on, out on the Appian Way and uh, just because it was part of his patron saint. And underneath St. Sebastian there in Rome are ancient catacombs. And he went on a tour in the dark tunnels where many of the early Christians are buried. He described it as truly being a cave or a tunnel. And as you walked along, there are niches carved into the walls where there became graves. And of course, it's made out of dirt and rocks and damaged uh, uh, ancient plaster frescoes. And as he said, it was all very interesting. And as he walked along, he kind of lost his balance and started leaning off to the side and he planted his hand against the wall to steady himself. And he says, with that contact against the wall, he had a sudden vision of the place where he was and what it meant. It was more than just a cemetery or a cave. He was surrounded by brothers and sisters of faith, the history of the Roman Catholic Church, the beauty of those who dared to live the faith in dangerous times, the art that was created that just began the legacy of art that the Christian Church has provided the world, the connection to all the people who had ever been in the catacombs, to the people of faith. And it was just intensely beautiful, he said. And it came to him in an instant. Was the tr tunnel transformed? Or did it remain what it always was, but it was he who was transformed to be able to see the beauty of it? When I teach how the world was created, I start with a model that's not very Catholic. It's called the clockmaker God model. You know, as someone like the guy that builds a clock. He'll build a clock, he'll hang it on the wall, he'll wind it up, he'll set the time, get the pendulum going, and go away. And when the clock needs some attention, he comes back, rewinds it, adjusts the time, right? And some people think God creates the world like that. God creates the world, 
And there it is. And then he goes away and does God's stuff. And when we need him, we go, oh, God, please help us. And then God comes and he helps a little bit and then goes back and does God's stuff. Not very Catholic way of thinking about God. A more Catholic way of thinking about how God created the world is if I told you to think about a pink elephant. And as long as you think about a pink elephant, in effect, it kind of exists in your mind. And then we start talking about other things and you forget about it. It's the same way that God creates the world. God doesn't just create the world. God sustains the world at every moment. In, in effect, it's kind of like keeping it in mind. God sustains the world in every moment. So everything that exists, everything that exists participates in God, right? This book participates in God. This podium participates in God. It is not God and is not worthy of worship, but it participates in God and therefore it's good. You know, I can take up my homily and crinkle it up and throw it at you. You know, the paper would remain good. I might have done something evil with it, but I did some, but the paper remains good because it participates in God, right? So God is everywhere and in, in everything, everything we can see and those things that we can't see. So if we would have begun this mass today by saying, oh God, please be with us here today as we... It's kind of a misnomer because God cannot not be here. What we mean when we say that is God help us to be aware of you. Help us to see you like the transformation. Help us to be, uh, take advantage of your presence here. Increasingly our culture seems to only see the absence of God and the dirt and the spots. There is such a negative view of just about everything. Our history, Western culture, the human person, human dignity, men, faith, institutions, social conventions, everything is weighed and assigned a place on the oppression scale, denounced and discredited and with no gratitude for what we have been given in order to build upon. And so many people are just plain angry Despite the rhetoric that we're becoming more tolerant and freer, we just become, seem to be becoming more divided and more angry and unsatisfied, seeking happiness only through the violent overthrow of things. We had the men's breakfast this past Saturday morning. Men, you're always invited to the men's breakfast. And there was a speaker from Right to Life, and he said every time his wife writes a letter to the editor, his brother, who has a similar name and owns a business, uh, there's a group of people who come to his place of business, and uh, the, he says they go through a huge amount of effort. They have to read this article, they have to decide to go out, get dressed, get in their car, drive to where they are, this business is, that they probably wouldn't have gone to anyway, get out of their car, go in and yell at them that we're never going to shop here as long as we live and you hate women, then get back in their car, drive home, and go on with their lives. There's a lot of time and energy and anger. And who wants to always be angry? We're here for such a little bit of time. Why go through life angry? And I never understood how anybody would think that this is attractive that it's convincing or would win someone over to, to their side. Let's be as ugly and mean as we can possibly be and that'll win people over. There is nothing beautiful or true or good about that whole incident. And maybe that's why they're losing ground now. This vision of the human person, this vision of culture, no matter if it's political or ecclesial, eventually reveals itself is so ugly. Its own transfiguration revealing its true ugliness 
and it begins to lose its appeal. What we are doing here today and what we try to do every Sunday and particularly what we are trying to do during this Lenten season is developing the vision to see that which is true and good and beautiful, to see Christ in all persons and their dignity, to see the beauty of God's creation and the good that has been handed on to us and to appreciate the wisdom of the ages. And that's culture to see what others loved and handed on to you so that you might be able to take what was good from that and build upon it. Like this building, this was handed on to us. And then we do something, with we fixed it up. We just fixed it up to hand on to the next generation. And then take the good and build on it ourselves in the great tradition of Christ and his transfiguration.